The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. This week, the categorical assurance was wrong. What do you make of that? I do not think that is uh, the way to behave. That rarest thing, a former senior civil servant telling Britain it was lied to. It is very unusual for a retired official to do what I have done this morning. Um, uh, I I did it by myself uh, because uh, what I have uh, seen and read over the last few days, I knew to be wrong. Uh, And, you know, things get to a point where you have to do the right thing. That BBC interview with Simon MacDonald, former head of the Foreign Office, saying Number 10 was fibbing about the Pincher affair was a big part of the process that led to the downfall of Prime Minister Boris Johnson. It's not the first untruth from the man who has led the UK since 2019. It was a Christmas party thrown in Downing Street for dozens of people on December the 18th. What I can tell the right honourable gentleman is that uh, is that all guidance was followed uh, completely during number 10. Partygate seemed to bring home to many voters what people who'd worked with Boris had always said. He's only got a nodding acquaintance with the truth. But he's not unique in that. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. US President Bill Clinton notoriously denying what later turned out definitely to be a torrid affair with the White House intern Monica Lewinsky back in 1998. But he kept his job. Donald Trump kept fact-checkers busy throughout his four years in the presidency, but his biggest untruth was about what happened when people voted him out. I've been in two elections. I won them both, and the second one I won much bigger than the first, okay? That is such a big lie. Many millions of Americans still think it's the truth. And that's what we're looking into today on the Y curve. Why aren't some politicians honest? How far does it matter? After all, politicians have always lied. Read my lips. No new taxes. I have never obstructed justice. And I think too that I can say that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. There is no doubt at all the United Nations resolutions that Saddam is in breach of are there for a purpose. He is, without any question, still trying to develop that chemical, biological, potentially nuclear capability. Presidents Bush and Nixon and our own Tony Blair with their own various terminological inexactitudes. And given that politicians have always lied, why are so many concerned that we have entered a new era of brazen dishonesty? Should we change the rules? Should it be illegal for our leaders to lie to Parliament? Is it time to end the rule that MPs can't accuse each other of lying? Or does truth in politics change depending on what side you're on? That's the subject of today's podcast. The Why Curve. This week, and you'll have to take my word for this, we're talking about lying. Yes, politicians lying specifically. Uh, they do. Uh, they do. Apparently, uh, we've got lots of evidence of it, haven't we? And we're going to look around the world at this, not just here and the most immediate uh, examples, but we're also going to look at what's happening in the United States and also what's happening in Australia. We'll start in Australia in just a second. Uh, but we have uh, Alan Renwick, professor from the uh, UCL Constitution Unit on the program today. Very packed podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Leboutier, a former Republican congressman who hates Donald 
Donald Trump. As many, many, uh, <laughs> well, not, not many Republicans still love him, of course, which is yeah. an interesting thing in itself. But a lot of former Republican uh, Congress people certainly don't. Now, it, it, I suppose it's showing up the universality of all this. That mm. on, in, in the places we're looking at, a little bit Australia, a little bit New, uh, US, a little bit here, we are looking at the ways in which politicians either deliberately, and in some cases they will say things that they do intend to do, yeah. but just don't manage to do them. Yeah. Is that a lie or not? We're going to no. interrogate that. But also, they seem habitually to need to say things, even that they know are untrue, in order to get elected or re-elected. Yeah, and and sometimes that is fine as well, uh, because sometimes they're saying, well, okay, we'll tell a white lie to try and get something done. Who hasn't done that, I guess, in your life? Uh, and sometimes you might think, well, look, it's too complicated to explain to people, which is, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether that's the way to behave in politics but you know that's sort of underestimating your electorate so I'm going to lie a little bit because you wouldn't understand it you know you don't want to worry your pretty face with the details yeah well that's the shape of populism which is what, yeah. what it unites a lot of the things we're yeah. going to be talking about populism yeah. being the thing at the moment not just in the countries you mentioned lots of other places Brazil the Philippines all sorts of areas Turkey yeah. where yeah. people essentially are told what they want to hear in order that the people saying it will get into power well let's go back in time then because this brings us nicely there's a link between Australia and the UK in this and that link is a man called Linton Cross the attack uh, dog of Boris currently. Well, yeah. not really. He's in the kennel. He is now because uh, it's not worked for him so well. But it's where he's worked with, well with Boris in the past. Uh, he's called the Wizard of Oz. Uh, because he's Australian, obviously, but also, I mean, you, you th- I think it's an appropriate name for him because if you think about the Wizard of Oz, if you think of the, you know, when they eventually get to him at the end of the Yellow Brick Road, they pull back the curtain and there's sort of like a slightly wizened man, not at all powerful. I think maybe we've just pulled back the curtain on Linton Crosby, uh, but he ruled by fear, didn't he? You know, all the way along, uh, the, everyone was scared of the Wizard of Oz. Uh, so a good name for him because he has basically survived using wedge politics. He's used it here. Yeah. He particularly used used it in Australia. Yeah, it was the children overboard thing. Now, tell us, what was that? Well, so that was 2001. John Howard was going into an election. The uh, Prime Minister at the time. The Prime Minister at the time. And uh, he was using, with Lincoln Crosby's help, uh, uh, immigration, the immigration debate as a, a wedge item to try and get people to, uh, to, to stick with them mm. for fear mm. uh, that the country was going to be overrun by asylum seekers, wherever we heard that before. Uh, so this was Nigel Farage before his time. Uh, and I think uh, he's, uh, he's helped Nigel as well, isn't he? Uh, but uh, here he is talking about, and you know, it's all falsehoods, but here he is talking about how uh, migrants, asylum seekers on boats have been throwing their kids overseas, overseas, overboard. overboard. Uh, so have a listen to this. What was your reaction? Well, my reaction was, I don't want in Australia people who would throw their own children into the sea. There's something to me incompatible between somebody who claims to be a refugee and somebody who would throw their own child into the sea. It it offends the natural instinct of protection. It does, doesn't it? So much so that people weren't doing that. They weren't throwing children into the sea. Commander Banks, who is in charge of the Adelaide, the Navy vessel that had intercepted the boat people, intercepted the refugees' vessel, said that uh, before a government committee that no children were thrown overboard, no children were put in the water, no children were recovered from the water. Uh, If people were in the water, it's because the vessel was sinking. So the government lied. I asked human rights lawyer Julian Burnside about whether this was an early example of an, uh, a lie in Australian politics to try and win over the anti-immigration vote. I think the government lied to the public uh, because it was, well, I don't know why. I, I, I would assume because they're embarrassed about the truth of the matter. But it wasn't the first time that politicians had lied to us because I think they lied to us or misled us um, in 1992, when 
mandatory detention was brought in. And it's been the source of most of the problems since, in my opinion. Yeah, so Julian Burnside there, he's an interesting guy, by the way. I'd like to get him back in, in future editions of the, of the podcast. But, I mean, they're saying it's been with us for a long time, this whole idea of lying and particularly this this idea about using asylum seekers. Well, immigration, obviously, massive issue mm. here as well. And, in fact, the latest survey of, of those who will be voting in the Tory leadership election suggests it's, it's kind of number uh, three or four on their list of, of big issues. Not perhaps as high as it might have been, but it is clearly a big one and a lot of untrue told about it. But that was a specific example, though, of where, you know, it looked like Labour were going to win the election and uh, they pushed hard on this issue and lied about this issue. There were no kids overboard uh, and they lied about it to try and get the public vote uh, against the asylum seekers and for a government that was going to take a strong policy. And it worked. Yeah. Yeah, And it's still an issue over there now. Let's look closer to home. Uh, Alan Rennick, Professor Alan Rennick, uh, is from the UCL Constitution Unit. They've done some research into public attitudes to democracy in the UK. Yep, indeed. Alan joins us. Alan, uh, lying is nothing new in politics. We've already heard that. Uh, Is there anything that's changed, really? There's anything different now than it was? That's very true. Um, Lying is a business, the basic purpose of which is to do things, to achieve things. And, you know, sometimes in order to achieve things, uh, it is helpful at least to uh, dissemble, to tell half-truths, to be a bit misleading, and sometimes, frankly, outright to lie. Um, The trouble with that, of course, is over the long term, it leads to much lower trust uh, in politicians and what they're up to, much less faith that they are going to deliver and they are going to do a job, go do a good job, which harms our democracy and also just harms the ability of the well, system well, well, to we'll deliver. Perhaps talk about the harms in a moment, but just that you, the terms you mentioned there, dissemble, half-truths, mm. I mean, what... What are we talking about when we talk about lies? Because people might say, well, yeah, the government would like to build 40 new hospitals. They hope they will. If they don't, well, you know, that's just circumstance. And if we're, and if we're saying half-truths, if we're saying, well, you know, we, we can't tell the whole story because people won't like that, but we need to tell a half-truth to get to the to the end game that they will like, which is why they've uh, appointed us, it's almost like saying, well, you know, we know better. We can't trust the public to, uh, to, to make the right decision based on the truth. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point because those who are inside the world of politics, I think very often make a distinction between outright lying, which everyone agrees, or almost everyone agrees, should not be happening, and then this kind of misleading, half-truth, not-quite-there world, which often is regarded as kind of acceptable. And we use the word spin quite often to Mm. describe at least some of this. And I think... So, so people in Westminster often, often make that distinction. I think most people out in, in the wider country are not Don't. really making that yeah. distinction. Well, and to d- see it all as being politicians who are up to no good and talking a load of nonsense. And I think that... I, th- I think people within Westminster need to understand that that there is that different view of what's going on out in the wider country. And so it's a much bigger problem that needs to be tackled here than just getting rid of one or two politicians who have a particularly detached view of, uh, of the truth. Actually, it's a pervasive issue in politics that is undermining trust. So what are people most worried about? Are they most worried about, for example, Boris Johnson uh, lying about affairs and relationships or you know, people who has helped get jobs or hasn't helped get jobs? Uh, or is it breaking election promises? Is it those 50,000 extra nurses, all those extra hospitals, those 50 million 
an extra GP appointments, 20,000 more police, not raising income tax, VAT or national insurance. I don't think they've delivered on any of those. Which ones are, are people most worried about? Well, it's different things, of course, for different people. So there's no uh, kind of single thing that we can pick out as being the, the thing that that most concerns everyone. And, you know, part of the the complication of this story is also that we tend to be particularly sensitive to the truths, to the lies, I should say, from the side that we don't like, mm. or the lies that are um, going against the view that we would prefer to put forward. So, uh, you know, there are some people who are very engaged with the personal integrity issues uh, that, that, that the Prime Minister has displayed of late. There are some people who are still harking back to £350 million on the side of a bus and, you know, haven't quite given up on, on that as being something that they can, are concerned about. Um, so it, this is just a really complex issue. And, and Alan, uh, and isn't, can... isn't there a point here also that the nature of our democracy, what you talked about there, is it's combative. People have different views on different sides. I mean, I suppose to make the obvious point, in a dictatorship, you don't need to lie because you control it. You don't need to persuade anyone. Maybe well, that's the answer. <laughs> even, even in a dictatorship, you do need to persuade people because if, yeah. if you don't, I mean, unless you're willing to use the army and you have the power to use the army in, t- in order to get entirely your way, then even there, you do actually need to persuade people. Yeah. They're not at um, war, remember. Russia is not at war. No, no, Russia. no. Of course, yeah. that is true. Yes, no, that is... Uh, exactly so. Exactly so. <laughs> but what about, what about the issue of is this uh, changing? I mean, when you say, is it anything new, people, politicians also lied. Is there a nation which our current situation, both here, perhaps in the US as well, lies have become a bigger part of politics, or are we just more aware of them? I think there is a greater willingness at the moment to just tell outright untruths. And we have seen that from Donald Trump and his supporters. We've seen it from Boris Johnson and his supporters. And to some extent, of course, it seeps across to others as well, because they see that they're going to have to play the same game in order to get on in politics. And this creates a very, very difficult situation uh, where um, you know the, the, the basics of our conversation about politics um, start to be questioned. And this is a product, of course, of polarization. So we live in a world at the moment where for many, many people, what their side believes is absolutely right and they can do no wrong and the other side is simply evil. And they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to say whatever it takes in order to defeat the other side. Um, so they become very forgiving of un- untruths on their own side um, and very um, unforgiving of anyone who kind of accepts listening to the other side. And when we have that that kind of discourse, it becomes very diff- difficult for anyone to occupy to attempt to occupy any kind of neutral ground in order to say, well, you know, here are the things that are true, here are the things that are not true, here are the things that we can trust, here are the things that we can't trust, because anyone attempting to occupy that that, that, that neutral ground is just absolutely smashed by people on both sides and accused of being working, of, of working for, for, for the other side. Um, so, you know, our discourse in politics depends on our having institutions like the BBC, institutions that, that are focused on trying to help people understand all of this, this cacophony that's going on around us. Well, but that role is, is getting very, very difficult. Yeah, but are we, is, is politics also being dumbed down by all of this? So I, out of interest, I went to, because I you know, looked at all the promises that had been made in the uh, 
Conservative Party manifesto and how many of them haven't been men. I thought, well, yeah, let's go back to Tony Blair's manifesto in 1997. And I have to say, it was a very wordy. There wasn't a lot of numbers in it. It was more sort of like, this is the direction we want to go in. It was uh, it, it, it was more of a, you know, a, 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 it wasn't a shopping bag of promises. And I wonder now whether we just expect that because we just don't have the attention span. And I wonder whether, you know, so, so you just, if you're going to be specific, you're probably going to tell say something that doesn't actually happen. But also, I just wonder whether, in fact, the, part of the reason for that is actually the media, you know, searching for this sound grab. Because it's too hard, isn't it, to start talking about, well, we're going to do this because the economy works this way and we're going to look at doing this and possibly if we've got the money left, we'll be able to do this. But if we do that, we're going to have to put taxes up because all things are connected. I mean, it's all very complicated running a country, isn't it? It's much easier to come out with four or five dot points such as we're going to build more hospital, get more police, don't you worry about it and we're not going to put taxes up. Miracle. Uh, that, that's a lot easier and, and the media seems to buy that without question. I completely agree with that. And I guess just what I would add to that is that it's only kind of part of the story. So the media part of the story is a very big and important part of the story, but there's even more to it than that. So we can't just kind of jump up and down and say we're outraged that our politicians lie quite a lot and expect them to do better on their own. Um, We need to think about the whole system of our democracy and how we can change that system in order to to overcome and change the incentives, if you like, so that politicians uh, aren't trying to do this. How could you do that? How could you make Mm. it uh, worthwhile for someone to tell a truth when it's pretty obvious that um, political success has been gained by lies? I mean, you know, I I won't say the word Brexit, although I'm sure Phil will. No, 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 that's all all good. No, he's going to tell us. Alan, you say we need to change it. What are we going to do? Well, I think one relatively simple thing that you can start to do is just improve education about politics in schools. So, you know, so many young people, uh, when they're responding to surveys about politics and about why they don't take part in politics, just say, well, we don't have a clue about politics. We don't know where to begin uh, with politics. And the less engaged the electorate are, the more politicians have an incentive just to use quick sound bites in order to engage them. And the more similarly, the media have an incentive to go down the same path because people people don't have the appetite to uh, consume uh, anything a bit more detailed. So the more people have a sense that they understand what's happening and it's kind of comfortable for them to listen to politics, think about politics, engage with politics, then the, the more you begin to turn this around. But of course, you know, that is something that it takes decades to do. Well, yeah. And, um, and also, also, isn't it isn't it a bit of, you know, w- w- education? Yes, make people nicer, make people more honest. We're all, you know, probably dishonest up to a point. Uh, you know, um, I have in the very few occasions told uh, a terminological inexactitudes. But, you know, with politicians, yes, it matters if they lie about something big like the Iraq war for for example, does it really matter if they lie about who they went to bed with or how many drinks they had under what circumstances? I mean, isn't this trivial and therefore not something we need to worry about? Uh, I think to some extent that is fair. Uh, but the education about politics and coming to understand politics better is partly about understanding that it's a really complex business. And for example, if you're engaged in diplomacy, then it's unlikely to be the case that it is useful to say exactly what you're thinking and exactly what you're wanting, it is probably appropriate to engage in, in a bit of, uh, well, perhaps a bit of dissembling, perhaps sometimes going, going further than that. Um, so the more people understand the nature of politics and the nature of the difficult choices 
that are that politicians have to make in politics. I think the more they can discriminate between the kinds of untruth that are really damaging and the kinds of untruth, well, where perhaps you think, well, that's that, that's part of a wider a wider process, a wider strategic game, if you like. So sometimes um, they have to lie, uh, just the nature of politics, you know, security issues, but sometimes they lie and it doesn't matter. And the third category is where they lie and it does matter. And education is distinguishing that. Yeah. And you'll be very pleased to know we are tackling that, aren't we? Because uh, my daughter's 13 and she's studying politics at ah. school. So we're doing an OA level or an AO level or whatever it is. So, yeah, well, uh, Al- so, Alan, so Alan in his lecture theatre, of course, has, has people that he is putting in the right position. I assume, Alan. Yeah, but I mean, the vast majority of 18-year-olds or 21-year-olds will, will tell you that the kind of education that they have got about politics does not begin to fit them mm. in order to engage with the real world of politics. You know, you know, you might hear, they might hear in the classroom something about the basic institutions, about some of the history of Magna Carta and all that kind of thing. Um, but do they really understand the job that politicians have, the nature of the political parties, the nature of the ideologies and the choices that are available? These are the sorts of things that people mm. also need to understand in order to uh, engage effectively as political citizens. And these are the things that people just don't feel um, it's possible, uh, that, that they don't feel they're getting them at the moment. We've just done a citizens' assembly uh, on democracy in the UK, where we gathered together uh, 67 people from all across the UK, a random sample of people, and they deliberated over six weekends in order to explore how they thought democracy uh, should change and be, be better in the UK. And this issue around education and inf- information was just one of the big themes that they were really focused on. They just wanted better information, better education mm. in order to help did, them. Did anyone mention politics. lying? Did anyone mention dishonesty? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the very top recommendation that came from the Citizens' Assembly, which was backed by 98% of the members of the Assembly, was that uh, lying in Parliament should be a punishable offence for politicians. Uh, they were, you know, they were just totally hacked off with the way in which, as they saw it, mm. lying was happening day after day in Parliament, in the heart of policymaking, and nothing was happening. Did they have a suggestion like a flogging in Parliament <laughs> Square? I mean, I think we'd all quite enjoy that, wouldn't we? You know, it's uh, you know. I think you may be revealing a little too much here. <laughs> well, I mean, I know lots of lots of conservative politicians no, engaging in yeah, flogging in their own. <laughs> anyway, let's yeah, move. I, <laughs> let's they, move. They thought there should there should be serious punishments for, yeah, the, for yeah. these things, but they also recognised. That, that this is a difficult issue. And of course, you know, one person's lie is another person's yeah. difficult opinion. Um, and if you try to go down too hard directly on lies, then, well, you, you're first, you're just not going to succeed. And, uh, succeed. and secondly, you're going to produce a backlash where people say they're being silenced by the establishment. Uh, so, you know, you just can't go down that route. You have to tackle... Uh, lying and misinformation primarily through education primarily Mm. through changing the discourse of politics this is difficult um, but we have to work on it hard over a long period yeah you don't have to dumb down if people aren't so dumb do you i guess that's the uh, the 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 message so alan we have to we have to move on but just very quickly one final question because it relates to who we're going to talk to next how much of the way boris has behaved do you believe relates to uh, the way Donald Trump behaved? Has he, has he watched and saw Donald Trump get away with so much that he thought, well, I can try that too? It seems like a neat trick. Well, they're certainly remarkably similar to yeah. each other in the techniques that they use. Yeah. I mean, you know, both of Lying. them. 
<laughs> well, well, so both of them lie a great deal. But I mean, both of them apparently are just people who are used to lying in their lives, and that's mm. what they do all the time. But and both, both of them, them very, use, very popular. Let's not forget that. Mm. Yeah, well, both of them also use lies quite strategically and deliberately in order to advance their cause and, you know, in order to encourage the other side of the debate to start shouting at them about being dishonest. And it just entrenches the division between the two sides, which makes them more popular on their own side of the argument. So, you know, that technique um, um, used both by Trump and by Johnson and his supporters just causes such a huge tension and problem in our democracy. And we have to find ways of getting past it. God, just, you know, you said you, you don't really lie. I mean, you would have been a lot more uh, popular. No, no, you, I, should, you should have lied more. You would have been more popular. Well, there? This, uh, there may be other issues there. But anyway, Alan, thanks very much indeed uh, for that uh, very interesting, very in-depth and, and elucidating idea of what people want from their politicians and how much lying is a problem. Alan, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. And, you know, talking about Donald Trump, though, which uh, which we were and how much he is like uh, Johnson, Boris Johnson, and maybe Boris Johnson learned everything from Donald Trump. Or maybe it's the other way around, of course, because Boris Johnson was actually in politics before Trump. Uh, let's find out how much truth there is behind that. John Le Boutelier is a former Republican congressman. He's now a writer and a commentator and uh, not a big fan of Donald Trump, it's fair to say. Well, let, let's find out. Yeah, we've got uh, John with us. So, I mean, uh, John, I mean, it doesn't really matter who came first does it i mean there are two peas in a pod and how do we get to this situation where on both sides of the atlantic we elected people to represent us or two men to represent us who in each case uh, in this uh, striving for populism for popularity uh, the truth was the first casualty by a long shot oh boy you're not kidding and and they are two examples of in the short run lying does work it will get you ahead, may even win you elections. In the long run, it will catch up to you. Um, telling the truth is just the opposite. It, the truth is hard for people to accept, especially in tough times politically, and they don't want to hear it. But over time, they may realize, you know, it was. I mean, I go back to Harry Truman. Now, Harry Truman, President Harry Truman, left office reviled in this country. He was really unpopular. And as the years went on, his image changed and people have come to regard Harry Truman the exact opposite as they used to. They now he's a straight shooter, the guy that said what needed to be said. And, you know, they loved him. And but, they love him in history. But, John, I mean, you know, look, going back into history, um, you know, we mentioned Donald Trump, of course, but you've had other presidents, not just uh, Harry Truman. I mean, Harry Truman, as you say, very much a straight shooter. Richard Nixon, rather less so. I mean, uh, the, the elder Bush president, of course, who I think you may have served at the same time as he was president, famously said, read my lips, no more taxes. I mean, and, and Bill Clinton. I mean, there are lots of, of examples of this over the years. It's not new. No. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm glad you brought all those up because each one of them, Nixon, the first Bush, <clears throat> we could do the second Bush, too, on weapons of mass destruction. And, of course, Bill Clinton and the sexual thing. Each of them has chipped away at what was once thought here in America that the presidency was special. The man who uh, uh, occupied the Oval Office was better than everybody else and would tell the truth. And you could trust what he said. After Vietnam, after Watergate and these other scandals, that's gone. Now, 
the cynicism in this country towards every elected official mm. and towards anybody in any position of power is you could cut it with a knife. It's so thick. And I don't know how that's going to change. We, we've had moments. Reagan came along and we were in the same sort of spot before him where everybody was down on everything and the economy was bad. And of course, Jimmy Carter had gotten elected. What was his line? I'll never tell you a lie. And basically he did. He didn't lie, but he was viewed as incompetent. Mm. Well, that's so, the, and that's that is that part of the problem as well. When you lie uh, you, in some ways, you're seen as being a strong leader. So Donald Trump loved him or hate him. He was a strong personality. And now, uh, you know, uh, Biden is getting criticized for not being that. He may be honest. I don't know. But he's not got that strength of character uh, that, that Trump has. Yeah, so and John, had, when you had look at Reagan, you, you went on to Carter. But Reagan, of course, very popular in retrospect uh, and at the time. Um, but of course, Iran-Contra, I mean, a massive yep, lie. Absolutely. Mm. And he never was as popular after that as he had been before. So, and by the way, I just, I, I put this out, I don't know if you both know it, in both the Nixon articles of impeachment and the Bill Clinton articles of impeachment, they had one called Abuse of Power. And in that article, one of the charges was lied to the American people. They didn't put that in either of the Trump impeachment articles, but mm. I'm glad they did in the Nixon and uh, Clinton one because it is wrong for an elected official to lie to the American people, to take the trust that the American people directly give you when you're elected and lie to them. So, And, and they should be punished for it. But are are they going to be? So is Donald Trump going to uh, be pay for pay for his behavior? I mean, it seems like there's still quite a swathe of the American population who who actually believe that he was uh, he he should have been voted back in, or he well, was they think voted he back was. in. It's yeah. the big lie they believe. It's only 14 million Americans. I, I saw John. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of them think it. But you, the question: Has he paid for the lie? Yeah, he lost the election. Mm. But will he be yeah, back? Could he be back? Is it possible that he will return? Well, it's possible. I'll, I'll tell you this. Though. I think he is. Pay, he privately is paying for his lying every day. He is not a happy camper. I mean, he goes out and plays golf, but he's miserable. He's a miserable human being every day. He's besieged by lawsuits, prosecutors, uh, you know, all sorts of things uh, coming after him. Uh, the January 6th committee, the New York State Attorney General will begin deposing him this Friday under oath, where we're probably going to see, for the first time in American history, a former American president take the fifth, which means I refuse to answer on the grounds that it might incriminate me. Uh, each of these things are happening because of his lies. And so it's taking longer, but the walls, I believe, are closing in on Trump. Yeah, he does have a substantial minority, but front page New York Times article today, new poll, more than half of the Republican primary voters don't want him again. Mm. They want someone new. They want DeSantis, someone else. They just have had it with Trump. 
Mm-hmm. Well, John, we, we've dealt with the, the consequence, I suppose. But what about the why? I mean, it, it, we surely don't believe that America, once the golden, the city, shining city on a hill, now the fallen uh, state, um, because we're all a lot worse, we all lie more. I mean, there must be a reason why, if truth has left the stage, that that has happened. You mean why someone like Trump has done so well? But but yeah, and also why the other presidents, and we listed them, uh, seemingly more and more and more have been able to tell but us. They but they were sort of single lies in the past, weren't they? Whereas Donald Trump was a, a compulsive liar, pretty much the same as Boris. If they got themselves into a tricky situation, they evaded answering that tricky situation mm. by creating another lie. So everyone followed that other lie and forgot about the first yeah, well, one. Then, then, would, then the question is, John, why is that happening? Well, it's a great question. I mean, you can lie, I guess, for a while and get away. I mean, if I go back over the ones you mentioned, now, Nixon lied specifically about the entire Watergate thing. Uh, and it was after he'd been reelected. And when he left office, he still had 27% of the country supported him. But the lies ruined him. The George H.W. Bush, read my lips, no new taxes. That ruined him. When he raised taxes, it created a rev- revolt inside the Republican Party. Pat Buchanan ran against him on that issue and ended up puncturing Bush enough that he lost to Bill Clinton. So and then the George W. Bush, that's the worst one, because you guys with Tony Blair were Mm. equal partners of it when they faked the intelligence clearly or in the English term, fixed the intelligence (laughs) to make it look like Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction to justify the invasion. And you know what? George W. Bush still got reelected. So did Tony Blair in the aftermath of that as well. But they've both then been ruined by it in Mm. their own way. Their legacies are ruined. And what's the leg? You know what the legacy of George W. Bush's lie was? Donald Trump. So you think there's a direct connection? uh, No question. That was the the end of the Republican establishment which was all in with the Bushes and Cheney on that war, that was the end. Once the country and once Republican voters realized they'd been lied to and there were no WMD in Iraq and all these guys are getting their legs blown off, brain injuries killed, for what? And along comes Donald Trump running against the Bushes, Mm. against the establishment, against all of it, and wins the Republican Party. And that was not... Donald Trump being a liar, it was the Bushes being liars. Yeah, but, but Donald, Donald Trump took the lesson, if lesson there was, that that lying is the way forward. I mean, you still maintain yes, the did. system works, though. Well, it worked in the sense that the voters got a chance to throw them out, and they did. Mm. Have so we, it works that way. Have I, we learned I, this I, time? I mean, that, that that's the question. I mean, it's happened so many times before, but it's sort of reached a crescendo now, hasn't it? Have we learned? Because I wonder about the same question in the UK. Are we going to replace uh, Boris Johnson uh, with, with someone who's, uh, you know, similar? Uh, maybe not immediately, but we'll go, ah, you know, that, that guy was a bit boring. Let's go for someone with a bit more charisma. And so what if they lie? At least they're entertaining. And, uh, you know, there's a bit of that with Trump. I wonder whether, you know, we've now, uh, we expect a showman in charge and uh, showman uh, don't always tell the truth right well let me just say this in 2020 biden was a bland rather boring alternative to donald trump has he changed no and he beat trump (laughs) yeah and now 
Joe Biden, of course, as president, is enormously unpopular. 33 percent approval rating. 64 percent of Democrats don't want him to run again. But guess what? When they match him up against Trump, he still beats Trump Mm. 44 to 41. Point being, a majority of Americans, and I think a majority of the Brits, because we're all the same, basically. Mm, Debatable, uh, but yeah, okay. Yeah, I think no. I think the systems are a little different, but our peoples think the same way and mirror each other often. And yeah, there's a minority, large minority that like Johnson, that like Trump, but there's a larger majority that rejects it and wants better. So and I think you're going to get better. The conservatives have a lot of good people in there. Mm. Someone better than maybe not as charismatic and funny as Boris, but someone more competent than him yeah. will will be selected. And I think here, I think the Republicans will not renominate Donald Trump. I think they will nominate someone else. Now, we don't know if that guy or gal will be any good, but we'll see. So uh, Alan Rennick earlier on in the podcast was talking about how, you know, perhaps the way to resolve all of this is that, you know, people are educated better in politics. So they understand the issues more. And that education might stop us being uh, uh, sold these lies and these very pithy promises of, you know, we're going to spend this much on on this and uh, we're going to recruit so many police officers and build loads of hospitals, all those promises which never come to fruition. But, you know, everyone gets very excited at the prospect of it. You know, if we had more education, perhaps people actually understood the way the system worked and the economy worked, maybe they would get away with with less. But I mean, that's a that's that, that's a that's a big ask, isn't it? Trying to educate people I, well, in, in how the government I, works. I, I believe that, but it's not happening mm. now. In this new New York Times poll that just came out this morning, it showed that uh, in America, of Republican voters who primarily get their news from Fox News, yeah, Trump beats DeSantis sixty-two to twenty. DeSantis being the governor of Florida, yeah. he's the guy. He's the biggest threat to Trump for the Republican nomination mm. at the moment. You know? Yeah, and. But by more than two to one, if you get your news from Fox, which is pro-Trump, then you're still for Trump. But so it's, it's all down to the media then, John, really. That's what it's the saying. media. So well, it's possibly down education. to one, possibly down to one uh, native Australian, isn't it? You know, yes. And one. Yeah. Who's a, who's now an American, American. citizen yeah. who probably has done more damage to this country than any other American citizen in recent memory. Yeah. Uh, Rupert Murdoch, because that's the ultimate problem for why Trump has strength, which is Fox refuses to report on the lies of Trump. And instead, they follow whatever Trump tells them to. He basically produces the shows. I'm talking about Trump now. He calls up producers at Trump at Fox and says, here's how I want you to cover me. And here's what I want you to say. And they've been doing it for five years. It's yeah. incredible to me. So yeah. in, in a way, the, the media, and as you say, one particular outlet seems to be dictating all of this. But you, I mean, just finally, John, you have faith that the system, even if, you know, there are many exceptions along the way, in the end does not reward lying in America. I do. Well, let's hope you're right, John. Great to have you on. And uh, we'll catch you again soon, I hope. And thanks for coming on The Wycove.
Phil and Roger, thank you both so, for having me. I've been looking forward to doing it. Thank you. You're one nice guy. Yes. Do you know, it's, Americans are either, well, particularly for men, I don't, I don't know if it applies to women, but they're either brash, mm-hmm. like Donald Trump, yeah. or you've got sort of like a, yeah. you know, the measured gentleman. Yeah. Uh, Generalizations are us. <laughs> That's what we Hopeless. do here. Hopeless. Exactly. <laughs> no, they're like anyone else. Anyway, right. So, lying. We've done lying. Yeah. Next next time we're going to be talking about taxation because one of the central things that has been coming up in all the political discussion of the last couple of weeks really particularly in the most recent Mm. few days is tax can you cut taxes is cutting taxes the way out of all this well Rishi Sunak obviously thinks not if he's our next Prime Minister Mm. he thinks we need to we need to do the hard yards and you know if the economy takes a downturn he shouldn't be helping pumping money into to help anybody Rishi Rishi, by the way talking about lying Rishi the man who said uh, he stands by the Prime Minister how many times this year but registered his uh, mm. whatever it is Rishi, go for Rishi uh, uh, website he, he registered that in December last year so obviously <laughs> knew he was going to have a run for it but anyway well, that's line. we've done line we're going to talk about ta- no, tax next week tax. Now, the main thing is is it logical to reduce taxes in order to try and get the economy back on the road but also to reduce the pain for the people suffering from what could be a very bad recession yeah. and we're going to talk about all that and find out does it actually work at the moment is it the way to handle the problems we've got yeah, okay. Well, it might surprise you. I've got some very strong thoughts on that as to, you know, where the money it, has, it to, stun has to go. It would to know that you had thoughts on that. <laughs> but I have some too. Anyway, that's going to be in next week's programme, all about tax. Thanks for listening. The Why Curve.